Welcome to the Blockbusters and Birdwalks podcast. I am the curator, Garrett Chaffin Kirai. Get ready, little lady. Alice coming to breakfast. I was taken to see Clint Eastwood's sudden impact for Christmas in 1983. At that time, I was 10 years old, and I accompanied my parents into a darkened theater to watch what I thought was supremely cool violence. The point of recognizing that I come to Clint Eastwood through sudden impact is to understand that I know the man primarily as the wielder of pistols. I know him from his screen appearances as a stone-cold, righteous killer, usually on the right side of the law, which is why it was striking to me as I entered early adulthood and reviewed his career, I pulled the outlaw Josie Wales off the shelf, his movie from 1976. Josie Wales is a Missouri farmer. He has a wife and he has a son, and he tills the soil as the movie begins. Very quickly, his homestead is overrun by union-affiliated militia. He is left for dead, buries his family, and is then swept up into becoming a bushwhacker. Those southern-affiliated Missouri farmers and other associated types who fought a border war with Kansans When the war concluded with a Union victory, those southern bushwhackers were allowed to go home. But in this fictionalized account, Josie Wales refuses to give up arms. In the logic of the movie, that's a smart move, because very quickly after all of his compatriots give up their weapons, they're gunned down by a Union militia. Josie Wales kills his way out of this wagon train with a young man under his wing who is mortally injured. Josie Wales collects around him a group of fugitives from the proper life of civilization. This begins with a friend of his from a former part of his life, a Cherokee man named Lone Waity, played by Chief Dan George. Then this expands to include Little Moonlight, played by Geraldine Keynes, who is a Navajo woman who has been traded around as the fodder of war until finally Josie allows her to continue with he and Lone Waity as they move in a southwesterly direction. Eventually, they overtake a group of outlaws who have harassed and murdered all of the menfolk surrounding a woman called Grandma Sarah, played by Paula Truman, and her granddaughter, Laura Lee, played by Sandra Locke, then Clint Eastwood's real-life girlfriend, eventual common-law wife. This group winds up at the homestead of Grandma Sarah's long-dead son, and they encounter some friendly folks in the local small town that has mostly gone dry. All the while, Josie Wales is being trailed by a Union bad guy. Terrell and his baddies trail Josie Wales, and they use a former friend of Josie, a man named Fletcher, played by John Vernon, to track Josie and bring him down. In the event, Josie has to create peace with the local Comanche leader, a man called Ten Bears, played by Will Sampson. After he does this, he must help his homesteaders fortify their farm, put off Terrell's soldiers by murdering all of them. And in the end, he confronts Fletcher, and Josie is allowed to go home 
peacefully to Laura Lee and we presume live a long, happy life. The thing is, we've been asked to consider Clint Eastwood a hero for so long that it's awfully hard to realize, at base, he is a secessionist. Yes, he's motivated by the fact that his family was murdered and taken from him right before his very eyes and he could not save them. And yes, he's created a found family through the course of his adventures fleeing the law, but he is an outlaw. It's right there in the title of the movie. The important thing for me as I confronted this movie recently is that I discovered it comes from a source book by a man called Forrest Carter, a white supremacist who was affiliated at one time with the Ku Klux Klan. His novel about a character he named Josie Wales is derived from certain cultural myths about the people of the South, particularly along the borderlands between Kansas and Missouri in the time of the Civil War's late period and on into Reconstruction. This man, Forrest Carter, is unapologetic in his admiration for these pistol-wielding desperados of the Old West, and of course, Josie Wales epitomizes the type. Here is a taste of Carter's feeling about the pistolmen of the Old West. In those days, they weren't called gunfighters. That came in the 1880s from the dime noveliers. They were called pistolmen, and they referred to their weapon as a pistol, or by the make, a Colt's 44. The Missouri guerrilla was the first expert pistolman. According to U.S. Army dispatches, the guerrillas used this new war weapon with devastating results. This is the story of one of those outlaws. The outlaws and the Indians are real. They lived, lived in a time when the meaning of good or bad depended mostly on the Jasper who was saying it. There were too many wrongs mixed in with what we thought were the rights, so we shall not try to judge them here, but simply, to the best of our ability, to tell it like it is or was. The men, white and red, and the times that produced them, and how they lived it out to finish the course. When this was transformed from a novel in the early 1970s into a script and eventually a movie for 1976, our bicentennial celebration year in the United States, Josie Wales was played as a great hero of American movies. Importantly, he speaks very little and he does quite a lot of violence. Here's an example of how Carter describes Josie Wales in confrontation with his enemy, a squad led by a man called Can Tolly. Josie Wales slowly eased into the crouch. His voice shipped loud and flat in the silence, and it carried a snarl of insult. You gonna pull them pistols or whistle Dixie? The regulator to his left moved first, his hand darting downward. Can Tolly followed. Only the right hand of Josie moved. The big 44 belched as it cleared leather in the fluid motion of rolled lightning. He fanned the hammer with his left palm. The first man to draw flipped backward as the slug hit his chest. Cantali spun sideways and made a little circle like a dog chasing his tail and fell, half his head blown off. The third was hit low, the big slug kicking him forward, and he flopped on his face. The fourth man was already dead from a smoking pistol held in the hand of Lone Weighty. It had been a deafening staccato roar so fast that a single shot could not be distinguished. The regulators had never cleared leather. The awesome speed of the death-dealing outlaw ran through the crowd like tremors of an earthquake. And therein is a problem. We watch Josie confront various foe, and he dispatches all of them, usually with the tail end of his pistol, until he meets ten bears and gives a huge speech. I came here to die with you. I'll live with you. 
Dying ain't so hard for men like you and me. It's living that's hard. And all you've ever cared about has been butchered or raped. Governments don't live together. People live together. In governments, you don't always get a fair word or a fair fight. Well, I've come here to give you either one or get either one from you. I came here like this so you'll know my word of death is true. And that my word of life is then true. The bear lives here. The wolf, the antelope, the Comanche. And so will we. The outlaw Josie Wales is trying to reconcile a lot of competing influences in 1976. There is the tradition of the Western, which in movies stretched back already nearly 80 years. And there is the very real prospect of considering reconciliation between those voices, faces, names, and stories that have been covered up in that Western tradition, particularly the stories of Native American peoples. So, in the outlaw Josie Wales, we see three separate represented Indian tribal groups, the Comanche, Cherokee, and Navajo, played by real-life Native American people, although none of the three were affiliated with any of those tribes. The point is that we're seeing faces that more resemble the true artifacts of our cultural and societal history, the Old West, looking more and more like how the Old West may have been, and yet we still celebrate the virtues of a killing machine called Josie Wales, squinting with a big scar down his face, killing the bad guys, only to be let go by his old friend Fletcher. I think I'll try to tell him the war is over. There's a rich soundtrack to this movie, and that's been composed by Jerry Fielding, who was Academy Award nominated for that soundtrack. However, the music is very, very richly patriotic. When The Outlaw Josie Wales was released, a person could have gone to the movie theater and seen a number of other movies which we now might call a revisionist western. These include The Missouri Breaks by Arthur Penn, Buffalo Bill and the Indians, or Sitting Bull's History Lesson by Robert Altman, and towards the end of the year, the John Wayne swan song, The Shootist by Don Siegel. What all of these movies have in common is an attempt to modernize the forms of the Western and demonstrate that the heroes of the old Western myth are flawed, difficult, often unpleasant people. And try as I might, I couldn't help but enjoy the fact that he stares hard. He pulls his pistol out of the holster faster than everybody else, and he tries to do the right thing. At least if you accept that the right thing can be done by a Confederate white man who never once utters any kind of a comment about slavery, states' rights, and the rest. He's simply avenging the death of his wife and his son and creating a brand new family from the ashes of his civilization. Thank you for listening to the Blockbusters and Birdwalks podcast. My name is Garrett Chaffin-Kirai. Boop-boobity-doo!